0: Right. Shall we fire away then with, with just a, a couple of words on the first wine? And then, I, then I'll I'll go into a little bit more detail into, into the domain But you're pretty familiar with the demand. But 2007 is an unheralded vintage white burgundy and indeed for red, uh, but one which I'm extremely fond of. And if people made the right decision, uh, I think they've made some very good wines. So it was uh, almost a record earlier flowering. It's It's been beaten since just about um, 2020 um, and 2011 maybe. But 2007 was an incredibly early flowering. It was the year that President Sarkozy won won his election in May. And from the day he was elected, it pretty much rained for the rest of the summer. Um, and uh, no deliberate connection, but <laughs> that's the way it was. <laughs> So it ended up in both colours being a little bit of a lighter vintage, but because the flat the spring had been so good and the flowering was so good, it means that the grapes ripened at the uh, end of August, very beginning of September. And lots of people picked in August. It was one of the first vintages um, after 2003, when we began to get, get August time And... Most people did their usual thing of picking the whites first and then the reds. And this was actually clearly the wrong thing to do in 2007 because the reds had ripened and the leaves were dying and there was no more um, uh, ripening really was going to happen if you left them on the vine. But the whites were underripe. Uh, They were okay for sugar and they were okay for acid, but they didn't really have any flavour to them. And the Chardonnay vines were holding out better than Pinot vines. So Dom was um, Dominique Lafon was one of the smart guys who waited. So a few people picked in August. Everybody else started on Monday the third of September. The weather was okay that week, quite good even. It was better the following week, and Dominique basically picked his whites from uh, during the week of the tenth of September. And it didn't change the sugar levels, and it didn't change the acidity levels. Um, but what it did do was give much more flavour in the grapes. Um, so Clos de la Bar is a vineyard that. Always flowers early, but ripens late. Um, it's it's the back garden, if you like, of the house where Dominique uh, was born, uh, and you know the family who've continued to live. Um, his mother lives there still, um, and she's five years older than La Loire, I can reveal, but she's in excellent health, full of energy, still drives, um, goes to the market, and all the rest of it. Um, so the 2007 Clé de la Bar should, I would guess, be at its perfect drinking point. Looking from here, I think I can see that the colour is still very friendly. No, no real okay. age in that. Um, it's never going to be a massively powerful vintage, but it should be a really pretty wine. And there's always a good mineral thread in the Clos de la Bar. Um, there's a vineyard called En la Bar uh, next door, and then the Clé de la Bar, the other side of the road, is entirely enclosed in quite high walls. Um, apart from the the end with the uh, the house at the top and the, and the rose garden. Um, but it's, uh, it's a very special village wine. I'm not suggesting it should ever be premier cru, but it's a wine with, with its own personality. Um, and uh, I'm glad your bottle is showing well t- uh, tonight because this of course was uh, in a period in which Premox was a risk, but I've never had much in the 2007 vintage from Dominique. So, um, as well as that, uh, he has a straight Merceau, and he has a, a wine which they sell as village, Merceau Désiré. But actually, it comes from the Premier Cru saint And so it could have been sold as Premier Cru, but they've always preferred to call it by their sort of pet family name of the desired one, Desiree, And the authorities said, Desiree is fine if you want to, but you can't use Premier Crew designation. You'd have to call it Merceau Santino if you wanted Premier Crew. And uh, they took the decision that uh, they, they felt it was only village quality, anyway, so they'd stick with Desiree. So that's uh, a quick briefing of village rights. One of the skills of this domain is that when it, it was founded in 1869, when the Bosch family, B O C H or Bock maybe, um moved to uh Merceau and built the house. Um but it was the uh uh then a Miss Bachobosch married the Comte Jules Lafont in 1894, January 1894. And that was really the start of it all, because at that point the Comte Jules Lafont bought lots of vineyards, uh particularly in Merceau and Volnay <laughs> later on Morachet. Uh, but his great skill was that he bought the vineyards, um, he bought plots which were really well situated in all the vineyards. Whereas another domain that started about the same time, and you can tell because the house and the, uh, the cellars were built at the same time and the architecture is much the same, was the Prieur. And there, um, the original Jacques Prieur took a very different view. He also went out and bought loads of vineyards, but he bought the grandest names like Moroche, Chambotin, Musigny, um, uh, etc, etc. But he bought what he could. He, he went for the top names, but he didn't necessarily uh, get the best placings within those vineyards. And Lafon said, No, I'll stick with my local villages, local appellations, but try and get the best plots. So it's both both valid approaches, but it's an interesting difference um so um what we're going to do today otherwise is uh your next six wines <laughs> in the pre-match tasting are going to be the six premier crews of merceau then of course we have to have a mauriceau and we will have the um uh, probably the best the best known certainly of the red wine um vineyards um we will do another version of this perhaps next year certainly the year after if not in which we will maybe look at all the red wine vineyards Um, as well as staying with the whites. And then, obviously, after that, you have got some um, beautiful older wines. And before I leave, I'll talk about those those vintages. (laughs) Um, I don't know how many glasses you have got. Will you get the three 2012s together?
1: Yep, 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 yep.
0: Okay. so while, while those are coming around, I'll say a little bit more about more recent history. Uh, because Dominique uh, Lafon's father, Pierre La- uh, René Lafon, um, who retired in 1982, uh, he ran the domain, but at a distance, there was a team that did the vineyards, and they, they had sharecroppers who would look after the vineyards, the most famous of whom was Pierre Moray. Uh, so at the end of it, Pierre Moray would deliver some of the grapes to Domaine Lafon and would keep some of the grapes for himself. Um and he had a, a cellar master as well, who would sort of look after making the wines under the instructions of René Lafon. But uh, Lafon was a sort of university teacher in um, thermal engineering, um, and and so he was he was sort of at one remove. I mean, yes, he lived on the property, but was semi absentee landlord. And it was the next generation initially, Dominique and his brother Bruno Lafon who started running the domain after 82. They didn't seem to want to claim 83 and 84. But uh, Dominique now typically says it was 85 when he took over. And uh, they didn't really get on the two brothers. uh, And so uh, it was Dominique on his own after that time. Um, And various things have evolved since then. During the 1990s, he took the domain first organic and then biodynamic. So, Anne-Claude Leflevre and Lalou bisse were ahead, in, but uh, then Dominique uh, followed on very, very shortly after them. Um, and, of course, uh, during the later 80s, he was taking back the various sharecropping arrangements. When each um, nine-year lease um, finished, uh, then he gave notice in advance and said, okay, I'm going to take back that contract and because I want to do divines myself, which you're allowed to do. Which is, uh, you know, unfortunate for people like PMRA and the others, but it was—it's all it's a normal way of things to happen, and everybody understood and wasn't didn't cause them any problems. Um, so by the early '90s, you got the vineyards and started moving them by dynamic, um, and uh, actually they then expanded at the end of the '90s by starting to buy some vineyards in the Maconnais, um, uh, and then since then the next uh, expansion was in. Uh, 2011, when they got more village Merceau to go into the village Merceau blend, plus uh, three new premier crews, which came in from the purchase, joint purchase with Rouleau, um, of a domain where there was there was no succession plan. So that brought in the, um, the Boucher, the uh Porizot, and uh, they really had the good door. So in fact, they just got two new um, premier crews. Um, And then Dominique had been having some problems with premature oxidation. So, as well as um, doing all sorts of researches about how the wines were being made um, to try to get around the problem. He also in 2013 went to the DM Corks, uh, in order to uh, make sure that he could um, really escape from any risk. Right, so you have got the three twenty twelve. It was a very small vintage um, because of hail. I mean, every vineyard in each of the village. Dominique Lafont under his own label plus the family label, uh, they have vines in six different villages uh, in the Côte de Beaune. Um, Chassagne-Morand for for the um, Morand Pudonie for a wine he makes himself. Bone for a wine he makes himself. Um, Montlouis Volnay and Merceau. And every single one of those villages and every single plot that they have got hailed at one point or another during 2012. So it was a very small crop. And in fact, I didn't get any allocation at all personally of his 2012. the only year I've missed. Um, uh, so I'll be fascinated to hear back from you how they're all showing. Um, let's start with Boucher. So that's one of the new ones. Now, this, in fact, is the plot that Jean-Marc Rouleau used to have. But when the um, acquisition that they jointly made in 2011, um, brought something called the Clode Boucher, which is in the top top left corner of the Boucher um, on the map. Um, when uh, that was part of it, said, I want to I want to take the Clode Boucher entirely for myself. And instead, I will see to you, Dominique, the Boucher that I used to have. So, uh, so these are the vines which mm. up, to 20, um, up to 2010 uh, were Jean-Marc Rouleau wine, the vines, and now they're Dominique. But both Jean-Marc and Dominique are in agreement that you've got to pick Boucher early. Uh, if not, the sugar levels start to shoot up, and the wines become heavy and, and clumsy. So there should be uh, a softness, a silkiness, um, an elegance about this wine, which will be easier to see. Um, when you've uh, had all, all three, and indeed all six of the premier crews. But typically, these days, we is a Boucher rather is probably going to be the first wine that Dominique will serve out of the six. Um. So, um, shall I talk about the other two? And then we'll chat together about how the three are showing? Yeah, you have all Yep, you've got them all. Okay, then Chenevrier, which is one of the um original, in fact, way back from even before Comte Jules Lafort, they had the Genevrier, uh, and it's become a strong favorite. Um, it is not the most powerful of the Premier Cruz, because Perrier and Charme, and even sometimes Gut d'Or, probably going to be more powerful, but it just has this really sublime uh sense of detail about it and finesse. Um, Chenevrier, the name comes from um um, juniper and they have a juniper tree planted next to this big vineyard He's in the upper part, which is fractionally the better in Genevraaire, but it's not that important. And several of you I know were at the uh, it was basically a La Laform presentation that we put on in that very room uh, pro- possibly last time before uh, before lockdown, the first lockdown. I think it was your birthday, Richard, when we did that or uh, so it would have been in January. Of, of that year uh, of um, 2020. Um, unless it was the year before. Um, but uh, it's it, it's it's frequently my favourite and um, the 81 and the 82 vintages, the last two of René Lafon, were both absolutely striking wines, and ones which I have used to mark various rites of passage in my life uh, ever since. So um, I shall enjoy sharing any bottles with you should you have any in your cellars. Um, But the 2012, it should still be pretty young. I'm guessing it will have a little bit more tension um, uh, in the wine than the Boucher. The Boucher will be more of a cashmere texture and the Ginevier, a little bit more detail. Um, I didn't check beforehand to see if I've got any tasting notes of of late. I don't think I have uh, on the website. Um, But that's probably going to be the classiest of the three 2012s. After that, we have Goutte d'Or, um, which is a small vineyard, and everybody has rows that go sort of up and down uh, the slope in Good d'Or, um, And uh, it's, it's a wine which is tends to be um, uh, a little bit richer, probably than the Boucherish and every year, a little bit of what Clive Coates would call four square. Uh, uh sort of a chunkier style, a little bit less finesse, a little bit more muscle, definitely a food wine. Um, so uh, not not really and so you can have some of your chips with it, <laughs> your French fries. Um, but it's uh, I'll be interested to hear back from <laughs> you, your preferences between these three. Though Sebastian mentioned that possibly that wine is fractionally flawed. Uh is that that's that may be the case um just also to put them in one other form of context um the Boucher, the Lafons have 0.30 um of a um of a um a hectare. uh hectare i'm just going to turn my turn my inbox off so you don't get noise of incoming emails um Boucher 0.30, uh, Genevrier 0.55, and d'Or 0.39. So um, 0.55 would give Dominique sort of six to eight barrels, uh, uh, eight barrels, maybe eight to 10 barrels, maybe uh, in a good vintage. And the others would be more like five or six barrels. So they're still relatively rare items. Um, any thoughts? To come back uh, on the Boucher and the Shafriha, um, given that the good Door is not quite singing,
1: both are showing very well. Uh, I, I'd say the up is maybe more ready, but these still are Quite nice stuff, yeah, I would uh, Jasper, I would say that the Ten of Pierre is um, a, a little bit more kind of finesse, a little bit more complexity. use that word, does a little
0: share, It's is lovely. Yeah, I mean it should do, is what you'd expect it to. Um and Dominique has got sort of two price points between his premier cruise with Shineria Sham and Perrier, I think selling a little bit more expensively. Uh, than um, uh, the Porzo, Boucher and Gouda. Um But um, I often find there is a little bit of a parallel between Claude Labar and Genevrière. They both do have a little bit more of minerality and salinity than most of the others. Um, but the Genevrière has got much, both more depth of flavour, but also there should be more nuance in the Genevrière. And the Boucher is just a, you know, a charmer with wonderful elegance. So say a cashmere texture. What I would be expecting um, as as of the uh, Bouchard. Great, um, they should all develop all those. I mean, you won't have quite enough opportunity uh, uh, to see them all develop if you've got to um, bring forward the next three. But uh, but nonetheless, um, they should give you a a pretty a pretty good view. I wouldn't expect 2012 to be fully ready. Yes, I would think you've probably got another. Three to five years to go, but it should be open enough to see what's going on. Whereas 2011 is a vintage which has many parallels with 2007, in so far it was an extremely early flowering because of a beautiful spring, followed by a not such great summer. So everything was ready to pick early. Again, it was vintage that started in August, um, but uh, it doesn't have the density of the great years. Um, what I've found is that some of the cuvées from Lafont are definitely pretty much getting fully ready to drink in 2011 whites, uh, and some, uh, including the more grown-up ones like Charme and Perrier, are um, are still. But I mean, they're not horribly backward, but but you can still see that there's more to deliver. And actually, with a group of Danish friends um, here in my village in Bouillon, uh, about two weeks ago, I did a tasting of Charme Genevrier Perrier. They spent in the afternoon, they went and uh, to the little crossroads in the vineyards where you where you're absolutely in the middle of Charme Genevrier, and Perrier. And then in the evening, um, I led them through a tasting when we had those three vineyards from each of Bouchard Perrier Fils, Domaine main Latour Giro, which is undervalued incidentally, definitely one to take a look at particularly for the Ginevrier. And also Boyer-Martheneau, another good name. Uh, and then they were all young wines, 18s and 19s. And then I dipped into my cellar and I produced the 2011s of Charme, Genevrier, and Perrier. Um, so you've got two of those now. Your Genevrier was 12, but um, Charme and Perrier. And mixed in between them is the Prosecco. And probably, in fact, the order of tasting would be the Prosecco first, then the Charme, then the Perrier. But it doesn't matter all that much because Prosecco is a wine with good good, good grip, good power, as well. Um, so I'll talk about them the order that they are listed. Uh, Charm is the biggest of the Lafont um, vineyards, uh, 1.90 hectares. And apart from a recent acquisition of a tiny amount, which is lower down, all the rest of it is in one big block, right at the top um, of the vineyard, um, just below the uh, code Perrier, the which is supposed to be the sweet spot. Of the Mercer Perrier vineyard, um, so it's really, really well placed. Um, it being a big vineyard, there's lots of different ages of vines here, but you know they're they're properly mature. Um, she never is a good age as well. Um, so um, here we have uh, the 2011, as I say, nice vintage, and it's pro- properly ready now. Uh, when I was tasting them out of barrel, I couldn't fault them on. Uh, sort of fruit uh, quality uh, on uh, acidity or alcohol, um, all the structural elements were absolutely correct. The only thing which I didn't get out of it, which would have made it the top vintage was I didn't see quite enough personality of sort of flavour characteristic of each vineyard, that would have catapulted it up to the top. But it's a very nice vintage in white and I think better in white than red. And um, no, it doesn't reach the heights of 2014 or 2017. Um, so um, charm, as I've just said is, uh, he's got a perfect emplacement. His father always served the charm before the chenevrier uh, and Perrier because he felt it was less good than chenevrier or Perrier. Uh, Dominique serves chenevrier first now, not because he thinks charm is superior, but just because chenevrier is about detail and elegance and nuance. And Sham is more about weight and power. And he feels that sometimes the Chinevrier might get crushed behind the Sham. Um, but it's it's also the other thing to say about Sham it's of all his vineyards, it's the one that changed the most with biodynamic treatments. Chinevrier hardly changed at all because it was they were just getting it completely right beforehand. But Sham did because it tended to be a little bit bulky and a little bit clumsy. Now you still see the weight and the power and the broadness of it but it's in a much better balance. Um, uh, there's a little bit more acidity in the wine than there would have been in the pre-biodynamic days, a bit more precision. Uh, so it's it's retained its character, but it's refined it, is what I would say. What,
1: what, if, did he go what, what, uh, what year was that? What, what year did he
0: go biodynamic? Uh, well, through the second half of the 90s, really. Um, so by the 2000s, then you could, you could properly see the effect of it. Mm. Um, then we have Porozo, which is very interesting. Uh, there are three little plots in Porozo. It's slightly lower down. It's sort of next to Chenevriere, but just a little bit. It's adjacent to on the north side and a tiny bit below. Um, and uh, Dominic's only got a small holding here. Oh, no, it's, no, no, he's it's all right, Porozo. He's just under a hectare, 0.96. Um, the fascinating thing about this, and I've only just started to understand it, I always felt it was a little bit of, um, not not what Clive would call a four square wine, uh, but whereas some of the Charm is very rounded, and the Porzo is a bit more rectangular in shape. In if if you can sort of make a a shape of the wine that you're tasting in your mouth. Um, but the thing which I've understood this year is that it actually has some tannins, and I don't know why it's not to do with the wood take up um it's it's it, and i see it in everybody's parisos when you taste it think about it at the end of your mouth and if it just does give you a feeling that's a little bit like tannins and red wines not as pronounced uh but it is some something which is characteristic of this particular location um so uh just in terms of oaking since i uh, mentioned that um the sham and the perrier uh, get the most oak uh to begin with it's up to 70%. Well, two barrels and three maybe new. And then after the end of the first year, they get racked out of new barrels into older barrels. The other premier crews get less than that, no more than half. And Dominique, like many other people has been reducing new oak anyway. Um, Only the Morrissey used to get 100%. And in 2020, even that has been taken out of 100% new oak. The village wines get no new oak. Um, So all the wines, Stay in their initial barrels through the first year and are uh, then racked out of one cellar into another cellar, uh, back into barrel. Uh, part maybe sometimes one or two cuvées if Dominique thinks they don't need any more wood, might go into tank. But broadly speaking, they're back into barrel for a second winter, and then they're bottled at some point between Easter and midsummer, or even into July or the following year. So, it's still quite a long maturation process compared to most people. Uh, and the last one is the Perrier. Um, and uh, the main, there are two main blocks of Perrier, plus a third small one. Um, the biggest block is right on that uh, crossroads between Perrier, Genevrier, and charm So, Perrier and Genevry are the upper parts of the crossroads. And the biggest block uh, is immediately adjacent there. So, that's The lower part of Perrier, which is thought to be the better part at the northern end, there's one small block of just a few rows, uh, also in the lower part, but uh, much further down towards the south, the other side of the Clos de Perrier. And there's a little bit, but um, Dominique only got this plot in 2010, the vines were in bad condition, they hardly give him, uh, they give him almost no crop uh, for the size of the holding. And so he's pulled them out about a year ago, he pulled pulled them out. Uh, So together, the three make 0.91. So he's got a reasonable holding of Perrier as well as about but only half what he has in Charm. So Perrier should have the most of everything. It should have at least as much weight as Charm, possibly more. But it should also have more of a mineral feel, a bit more detail, an extraordinary intensity and length. Um, And it should be like Charm plus Chenevrier together. So, you have the three in front of you. Um, I'm not expecting any of them to be too backward, but certainly the Perrier, probably the Sham, maybe the Perzo, ought to taste to say they've still got a little bit more to unveil later on. Thoughts back?
1: You're you're spot on on the Perrier. Yeah, Perrier. also,
0: Genevria is very good. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you're a conformist, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> you're going with the official classification. But but I mean I do think there is a um uh, there is there is a definite uh, uh difference between uh I, I'm with you in having Perry. If we were doing six wines of any vintage, uh I would certainly find the Perrier and Ginevier to be clearly my favorites. Um, small drop back to Sham. Um, then Paris, probably or Boucher, depending on the mood I'm in and what I want. And good door is the one which generally I like slightly less, I mean, but but it, it's only a very small difference between those, those three, Boucher, share good door and Perrier and um uh, Jasper, who has, the, who has the biggest plot
1: of
0: Perrier? Um, Good question. That would be because it comes in. um, uh, It comes in two parts, that would be uh, Albert uh, Grievo. between the two parts, Um, I will. uh, Let's have a little look. Um, But uh, I've got the list here in front of me surprised that no one has brought a certain book in with them to find out. But, um, right, Perrier, here we have oh. Albert Grivo, 1.55 Perry in three plots 1.20, Chateau de Merceau 1.10 um, The former Domaine Onpo 1, uh, Albert Grivo, Ah, Grivo has 1.55 and then 0.95, so they have uh, two, 250 oh. in total Then La uh, 91 after that, also with a reasonable size half a hectare or more, you would have Heitz-Loschede, Boye-Martineau, Koshjuri, Gonu. Metro Moray, Pierre Moray his, and Michelot. There you go. Uh, Jasper, um, which part of Perrier is the best
1: area? And then within that area, sorry, the top part or the bottom part, and then within the, that better part, where is it within there are the holders of the best part of Perrier? <laughs>
0: Okay, uh, uh, a good question. And um, somebody <laughs> has done, somebody's done a map of all the Perrier vineyards. So you can get If you Google it, you might be able to find that. Um, and you've got everybody's holdings on it. But um, let's think. What can I tell you about that? So it's the bottom half, i.e. You've got the the, um, the road, which is effectively the Route des Grand Cru. Um, and Perrier is entirely above it never is either side of it, and Charme is entirely below it. So, the best bit is the bit that's adjacent to uh, the Route des Grands Cru. So, that starts with Lafont. Um, you've got, uh, not sure if I remember everybody, but uh, Grévo is also uh, in the middle. And geographically, between north and south, the Claude Perrier is, uh, is pretty much in the middle. And you can see that as a walled clo. And uh, he tried to get, the owner tried to get that promoted to Grand Cru on its own. And he thought that everybody else in Merceau would support this idea. But not surprisingly, since it was only his bit of the vineyard he wanted to promote, not surprisingly, they didn't. <laughs> um, but then higher up, Eau um, Perrier and Perrière des Sud, uh are actually pretty good, but they're probably a little bit behind. They're more directly on the rock. They probably don't have the same intensity. Uh, That's where the the tiny third plot of Lafon is. Next to him is Costurie. Next to him is uh, Davio Perrin, where you can expect really exciting things with the return of the sun to take over, as from 2020 vintage. Um, One of the Bouchard plots is up there. I think boye martineau may be up there. Um, I haven't done my homework sufficiently to be able to give you every single person exactly where their plots are. Um, But... Uh, I I know how I can find out. Uh, in fact, I uh, I will have the copy of Bourgogne aujourd'hui uh magazine, which will have um, printed this, and I should have it next door to me, and I should be able to find that I can just checking on an Excel sheet of um, when they did Perrier so I get the right copy out. That is issue 121. Um... I will leave the screen for a second. It's desus or sous Yeah, it's so a wretched trench that they have virtually identical words for upper and lower. But uh, yeah, Dessus is what you want, which also sounds almost exactly the same uh, as their word for disappointed, which is a, uh, desus spelled and would be pronounced a very similar way. Aha, you Right, here we go. I should have pretended I have remembered all this and uh, not told you I'm cribbing it from um, the magazine. But from the top north in the uh, lower part, which we've established as the best part, it goes in order Lafont, Philippe Bouzereau, Le Giro, Jacques Prier, Heitz Lochadet, Vincent Dancer. Dancer and Lochede are always next door to each other because it comes from the same family. Rouleau, okay. Matro more hikes slosh today, Balo Balomio, another really good address in Merceau, uh, then um, then uh, Albert Griveau, um, then Jean-Michel Gonou, then the Claude Perrier, Albert Griveau, then Michel Boussereau, Potinet Ampo, Domaine Ampo, Pitouze-Priere, the other bit of Lafon, uh, Michelot, Pernod Bellicard, Vincent Latour, Bouchard Parifis, Henri Germain. There you go. And in the upper bits, which is still very good, but I would argue fractionally less good, you have got Lafont, Costieri, Davio Perrin, Bouchard, more Costieri, Domaine Moinjean, not very well known, Michel Bouzereau, Chateau de Marceau, Yves Boyer Martineau, and Pierre Moret. There you go. Oh, you. Right, repeat that back to me. So good. was <laughs> a good student. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Jasper you, you mentioned on <laughs> Po. Um, yes. I I remember actually both his bullets are also Messi Perrier the Pierre, but incredibly long lived wise sort of release years sitting. without sitting in the main for years. I mean, what what happened um, to that domain? To Is it still
0: no, um Michel Anpo had a had a stroke and was close to retiring age. And so he thought, right, I'm going to stop. Um, uh, stop doing it. And he is uh, somebody called Eric Germain, who is the winemaker and technical director for the Vincent Girardin Negociant label has taken over running most of the plots and credit to him, because he got 2021 spot on during the frost and he saved most of his craft uh, crop by lighting lots of candles and doing it early. So um, most of the vineyards are managed by Eric Germain, who then um, has the fruit for uh, the Vincent Girardin label. Um, and when I was tasting recently at La Tour Giro, um, Jean-Pierre Latour Tour said, oh, by the way, you know, you, you do realise we did meet for the first time about 30, 35 years ago. And I said, Really? And he said, yes, um, because after the Polo de Merceau, and some of you, uh, Richard, certainly, and some of the others of you may have been to Polo de Merceau, but, you, you know, you're completely out of your tree by, by sort of six o'clock in the evening. But my host on that occasion was Jean-Philippe um, Fichet. And Fichet said, right, we're going to go and taste on Po. It's incredibly difficult to get a tasting there, but he said he'll open up his cellar for me and a couple of friends, uh, including you, this evening. Uh, so let's go there. So I was, I, I barely remember the journey to get to the cellar. I don't remember tasting anything while we were there. I have the haziest memory, but apparently in my uh, drunken state, I didn't allow my brain to come in at all. And I picked every single wine, bl- which were all served blind. I got them all right. So I've never been named to do this ever again. And... and uh, and oh. and Jean Pierre Latour told me this again. He reminded me. I heard from Fichet the next morning. and got them right. And Ompo, who's never been named to give a bottle of wine away ever, uh, delivered six bottles of wine to to the house the following day. So sort of, oh. congratulations. Uh, and Jean Pierre, thank you. Jean Pierre Latour confirmed that. So uh, it, it is rare. I've tasted with you on a number of occasions blind and haven't particularly distinguished myself in your pears uh, tastings, but. Uh, Nonetheless, on that occasion, I, 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 I drank too much to allow my brain to interfere. It was purely my... my <laughs> right. All this gives you time. Do you have the Morichet in your glass?
1: Uh, no, not yet.
0: So, so uh, then briefly, of the six Premier crews, it's Perrier first and Chenevere second, or or just those two? okay so I Good, I, me too. I, I, I'm liking the Porouso more and more in general. The Morachet. So it's Lafon, which is great news. It's Morachet, which is great news. It's 2014, that wonderful white wine vintage. And it's also by now under a Diam, the, the only wine that you would have tasted. Uh you will taste, in fact, in this uh your entire evening, uh, which is under a Diam cork. Um, the very first year 13, Dominique didn't change how he managed his sulfur regime, which you should do if you're going to use DM. you should use less sulfur. So the 13s were very brutal to begin with. It's all resolved now, but they were brutal to begin with. Fourteens, I think, should be better. So I'm sure you're familiar. Uh the Lafont um Uh, holding of Moroche is the very last one of all going from north to south. It's uh, adjacent to the road. It forms a nice big block, third of a hectare um, uh, at the, let's call it the um, southeast corner of the vineyard. So it's on a reasonably steep slope as the the slope um, goes in purely down to the south towards Chassin moroche here. Uh, He's got Romney Conti just above him. Um, and uh, I'm not sure who's uh, next on the on the other side. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so uh, it's a vineyard which is quite old now and it was quite degenerate. And he thought he might have to uh, bring it out or pull it out. But he found when he went to biodynamics, he actually found that the vines uh, regained uh, a little bit of energy and became a bit less degenerate. I try and pick it every year. If Dom gives me the advanced thumbs up, that that's what they're going to do on that day. And it's a really quite difficult uh, vineyard to pick because the grapes are very very small, and the the bunches are small, and the individual grapes are small, and they're sort of hidden in the foliage. Um, whereas a younger vineyard in in sort of greater health would have probably more bunches, and they'd be bigger bunches, and they'd all be in the same part of the fruiting zone, and it would be much easier to pick. But here, you've really got to search for them, and make sure you don't miss any. Um, but because they're such small bunches, they have a really good uh, intensity of flavor. So I'm guessing this wine is going to be ludicrously young still. Um, but I hope it will give you uh, a little bit of a sense of what it's all about. 14 so, another, another small crop after hail, uh, in the, the best ever year, I think that I, uh, they managed to make six and a half barrels. Normally they'd be pleased with four and a half barrels. 14 might've been a bit less than that. Um, so thoughts back. How's it showing? Yeah.
1: spectacular.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's a mock up Right. It's, it's definitely like a level above. Yeah, level out. Yeah. Well, it needs to be I'm uh, price uh, point uh, to view. But uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> save, save me an empty glass and when I come by in 18 months' time, I'll come and sniff it. Uh, like, like you said, it's like
1: a barrel sample. Is it ready? Yeah, gosh. Really, yeah. Um, yeah. it's really drink it's very you can tell the difference straight from the smelling it, it's just got a yeah. different level of uh, to the others complexity is huge. it's like putting all the others together and you've got yeah. all that yeah. Michael you say yeah.
0: complexity is huge It's it's opened up enough so you can see the complexity has it because sometimes it's just a sort of a wall of flavour but you can't pull out the details when it's as young as this
1: it's not a block.
0: It's nuance.
1: It's so primary. But yet there's so much there. I mm. can see where it's going. But it's not integrated. Yeah, it's not knit yeah, together. Okay. Oh, right.
0: yeah. That will take time, right? Yeah, well, look, don't guzzle it all now. But but keep that glass and and just keep smelling it all the way through um, Thanks, all the way through the yeah. meal, yeah. I would suggest. Because it come will on. give you so much more. Maybe, too, Michael, is it too late? So don't guzzle it for you.
1: <laughs> Sorry, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Jasper, can you, Jasper, yourself, yeah. how long does it take for it to come around and get balanced and really show its uh, true potential? Your,
0: your well, I would think a vintage like 2014, which I think is, is a very reserved vintage because there's good acidity in that year. Um, I would really only want to drink uh, the Morrissey after 20 years old. Um, so um, the, the first vintage ever um, of love, Foll- they bought the vineyard in 2019. But the first year they actually made a wine themselves was 1935. And I've been privileged to drink that at the domain on, on a occasion when they did some wow. and it was still still in great form. Um so I yes I've had prematurely oxidized bottles of uh, including once at uh, amuse bouche with several of you would have been present I think we had maybe the 2001 and once on that same visit the night before in Air pure uh we had a vintage that was a little bit oxidized maybe 99 uh but it cheered up during the course of the evening and then the evening in amuse bouche it started dead and stayed dead unfortunately um but uh, aside from any premature oxidation issues, uh, it's a wine which should age endlessly.
1: So Jasper, I just had another one. And it was absolutely glorious.
0: Yay. The one. The one. Yeah. yeah. Good. Oh. Well, it all supports my theory that um, premature oxidation is a period the wines go through. But uh, not more than okay. that. Um, so while you go on enjoying that, that you've got one, um, do you know, I'm almost going to suggest that you do better to have that 90 uh, alongside the um, 76 and the 85 with, with your dinner so that you can go on drinking. Um, you can go on drinking whites straight through rather than having a break for the red. If you haven't served it yet, which I don't think you have. Are you, uh, do, do, does that make sense? Sure, then why don't we do the 92 tomorrow while you're here Yes no oh, I should get even more
1: jealous um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> right.
0: what I'll do instead uh, no you shouldn't do the 92 because you, you should look at you should do the 09 perrier then the 96 perrier then the 92sham then the 92morrow would make more sense um, right. uh, for, your, for, your, for your dinner but what I'll do instead is i'll talk to you a little bit about 21 and 20. Um, I already did touch on on 21 such small crop but really aromatic whites um, lower alcohols but correct alcohols and um, um, acidity at the moment showing quite high but there will be more malic acidity so that will uh, settle down and balance the 2020s that I've been tasting for the last five weeks uh, the whites are amazingly good, and they're completely consistent, everybody seems to have made good whites. Um, They're across between 14 and 17, probably more often like 17. The people who pick early and want to make really intensely mineral wines like Jean-Marc Rouleau, it's more like 14. More often, it's like 17. Um, Whether it's better than 17, or as good as uh, 17, I think may depend in certain cellars. Um, can't remember exactly uh who's who who is who's who's who and what's what. Um, but in, in general, it's right up there. So it is it's a major white burgundy vintage, without question. And what is weird is that the whites and the reds have behaved in totally different ways in 2020. The whites are fresh, energetic, no tasting of none of the sort of the honeysuckle and and peach and um sort of super ripe flavours. They're all spot-on, correct. Uh, ideal ripeness flavors, uh, plus this really good acidity behind which is an acidity which will stay with the wines and keep them young and fresh for a long time. Um, the reds vary, to begin with, I was really downhearted, because I was going to white domains. mains, people who had a few reds as well. And a lot of the reds were tasting ugly and overripe and difficult with lots of tannins, and high acidity, and overripe flavors. The more I've gone on tasting the reds, the more I've got to people who specialized in reds, and they've made the right picking choices, then there are some brilliant wines for the long term, but it is going to be much less even than the whites. And it really is going to be a question of uh, checking whether this producer got it right, or that producer didn't get it right. And even within a producer, there may be two or three wines, which uh, went over the top, because the intelligent people, they tasted the grapes, and they switched from the normal programme, and they picked all the reds first and then the whites. The those who just went with their normal "We do whites before we do reds," all waited until the skins tasted completely ripe. They ended up with 15, 15 and a half degrees alcohol and, to my way of thinking, ugly wines. So not everybody's going to get it right by any means. Who, who has gone a like, that you have tasted? Uh, I'd rather wait till I've gone sort of uh, all the way through. And I haven't I've only started I've only done one day so far in the Côte de Nuit. I've got a feeling ah. it's going to be better in the Côte de Nuit, um, comparatively than the Cote de Bone. But um uh who who do I remember who got the um uh, reds? Lafarge completely, utterly mm-hmm. mind-blowingly good. Amongst the bone negotiants, I've um okay, um Camille Juru, amazingly good. Ben Larue, really good. Uh, Bouchard, not bad. Shadow, pretty good. I haven't done them all. Um, I've still got a couple more to do. Uh, Donjereil is good in Volney, but I think Lafarge is the winner for me. Um, um, I'll, I mean, what I want to do is I need to get to the end of it and refine uh, my my thoughts because I'm I'm still learning. I'm still building a picture of the 2020 Reds, whereas I'm I'm comfortable. About my understanding of twenty twenty whites, but so one that's, more month of busy tastings.
1: That's what we should ask you again in uh, in uh, December. We
0: do yeah, the next sure. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe with um, uh, the Russo one. If we don't have anybody from Russo there, that will be the time to do it, uh, rather than when when we have a a guest Vigneron, a or a or a or a or a Jeremy says. Wonderful. Well. Um, it's about time that you metamorphosed into the, the dinner part of your evening. Uh any last question? Did, did you get an extra wine just then? Or I saw another glass come round? Every eight. Yeah. Do you remember that was the the 09s absolutely shone when we uh we did the Mercation area tasting, and I'm sure it will be again tonight. It's in these richer vintages, which people think are red wine vintages, the people who were intelligent enough to pick early enough from their whites, so 09 and 15, have often made stunning whites, which, and for me, it's almost my favorite vintage for uh, Dominique Lafont era Lafont's 09. Uh, I just think he nailed it completely. And it sounds as though it's working for you as well.
1: Almost. So then, what what, what is your favorite?
0: I only said almost to leave myself some wiggle room in case (laughs) another occasion, another praise, another another one. Um, But but and I I can't think of one which I would clearly say was uh, was better. But uh, let's put it that way. (laughs)
1: Lovely.
0: Well, look. uh, Any more? Last question. Last question. question. Yeah. Uh,
1: You've known Dominic for many many years.
0: Yes. What's the best wine you both have ever shared together? Um, well, one which is a great memory for us was the 1982 Mauritius, which we both uh, the first time he tasted it in bottle, and the first time I tasted it in bottle was uh, sitting on camp beds in a little rented cottage on the coast in Cornwall, um, drinking it out of t- tooth mugs because that's all we had in the place. That was We went for a new... It was a New Year's um, holiday. It was uh, myself and Abby. It was um, uh, Dominique and his... Uh, had he married Anne Rumier or... Anyway, either girl... No, I think it was a girlfriend, and it was the first time any of us had met her. Also, André Ostertag from Alsace and his uh, um, partner, Christine. And I remember with André, we went to meet... Um, uh, Dominique and Anne at Heathrow to pick them up and um, Dominique had told <laughs> us I got this new girlfriend she's the most beautiful girl in the world she's incredible and so we were waiting as people come out for having collected their bags and every time a pretty girl came out do you think it's her no no not I'm not <laughs> pretty enough do you think it's her no 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 and then and then out came Anne with Dominique we thought okay yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I think so so we all went down and had this magical um, uh end December over the New Year's uh week's holiday in a rented cottage down on the coast in Cornwall. It was great. Anyway, that's a nice night to leave you on unless we have any more questions. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of your evening.